Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is all about the question, what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week, you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you've finished listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadrians.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I am here today with my guest, Ben Falcon. Uh, Ben is a spray painter, industrial painter. He does custom bicycles and uh, other things related to bicycles. Ben got his start at Seven Cycles in Boston, learning about sort of the custom paint world, and then moved out to Portland where he worked with Chris King. Uh, and is currently in Brooklyn doing more freelance stuff and uh, working with Horse Cycles Paint. Um, Horse Cycles is not your business, Ben. Is that correct? No, that's correct. Yeah, that's uh, Thomas Callahan. He has he builds custom bicycles for that brand. Yeah. Cool. So you're doing the paint for Horse Cycles as well as other projects on your own. Yeah. 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 Mostly other stuff. I mean, as a as a custom bike builder. Uh, by yourself, you know, you takes uh, quite a long time to do each project. So I'll paint all his stuff, and uh, you know, usually doesn't exceed like two a month. So plenty of time for other other stuff. So, how did you even get into this world of like custom bike painting? Like, it seems such a specific thing mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that I feel like most people probably don't even know this is a thing that exists. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a niche. Um, which is uh, which is kind of the fun part about it, especially because there's not much competition, which is kind of nice too. Yeah, I was just I was kind of doing uh, architecture in school in in college in Boston that is, and doing some internships and stuff, uh, working for like you know some firms I had worked I had interned for for like maybe a year after graduating, and uh, yeah, I just kind of got tired of um, being like out behind a computer doing AutoCAD. Um, if I had found the right job in architecture, I'm sure I, I'm still in, very interested in it. I think it's a great field, but, uh, but yeah, I, I was just really hankering to work with my hands, I think, and get back to kind of more conceptual, visual, just kind of a trade. Uh, so, so yeah, I just found like a, an opening at this company, Seven Cycles, and they were willing to train me from the ground up. That's like kind of how they prefer to do things instead of taking someone who knew how to paint already like from the automotive spray paint world specifically. And uh, yeah, so that worked out pretty well. And then just kind of got stuck in it, basically, in a good way. That's cool. I think it's interesting that you have an architecture background, because I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I I feel like from my limited (laughs) knowledge of architecture as a field, it seems like so often when you're, especially when you're first getting into it and like, probably the first five to 10 years, it seems like it, it, a lot of the work that you're doing, like you're not really getting to do the design work. You're not really getting to do 
the really interesting stuff, you're usually working sort of implementing somebody else's ideas and plan. And it sounds like for you, switching gears to bike painting was like a sort of shortcut to get to do the really fun stuff that you sort of probably got into architecture to do to begin with. Is that accurate? Yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. Um, yeah, I think it was also just came back to the art background as well. Um, I mean, architecture obviously involves some structural and more engineering kind of based thinking as well, which was probably never my, never my forte, um, more, you know, kind of, it's hard, it's hard in high school knowing what we all want to do in the first place. It's kind of an unfair position to be in. Like, I feel like a lot of people luck out and do the right thing. And then, uh, but like, luckily I was, a I wasn't doing like, you know, it's different if you're doing something completely on the wrong end of the spectrum, but architecture isn't like, that's actually not that far from what I do. It, I mean, it is kind of, but could be further. So, you know, it works out. Where do you see like the, where is the intersection of architecture and uh, bike painting? Um, so I would say mainly just the meticulousness of it, just the attention to detail. And that's something that architecture demands, uh, even just architecture school, since I don't, I wouldn't even know exactly what architecture as a field entails anymore. It's been so long. But as like, I can speak as to architecture school, which is pretty demanding and also, and it's, it's just a lot of uh, detail oriented kind of stuff, you know, like building models, cutting little balsa wood pieces and gluing them together, which was actually my favorite part of it. If I was ever get back into it, that's what I would kind of want to do is just build models all day but probably not a thing that exists <laughs> so um it's all like it's all just like uh uh you know robots cutting things now so but yeah um yeah i'd say it's the detention to, to detail for sure and then taking you know visual cues from from just uh like that kind of vernacular you know, architecture vernacular um, yeah you, you see some kind of crossover with that as well since you're working with an object um, it might not be a, a building, but it's it's still a it's still a structural object of sorts, whether it's a bicycle or motorcycle or, or any other object, like some furniture. Uh, it kind of runs the gamut for what I get to do in New York, especially freelancing. So, so yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've I've been following you on Instagram for a while, and, like, it's always cool to see the that level of detail that goes into your projects um, because – it, it it seems like you do a lot of things where you're like taping very precise patterns so that you can paint over them and, you know, peel away the tape so that you get these like really precise lines. Um, I feel like bikes are such a minute canvas <laughs> uh, that are, so, it's like, it, I, it seems like it, it must be really refined work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's almost like, especially bicycles, uh, as compared to other things I paint, or it tends to be like kind of like a almost like a piece of jewelry, where it's a very specialized, uh, you know, very small tube diameters, and um, you don't have a whole lot of room to kind of open up the gun and, and really spray a large a large surface, as opposed to like a motorcycle tank or helmet or a big panel or something. But uh, mm. so yeah, you get it's a very small amount of air you have to work with to to express the kind of whatever uh, whatever you're trying to get across visually. So what is the gamut of things that you paint? 
I mean, so mostly, mostly bicycles like we're talking about, but also uh, motorcycle tanks, motorcycle helmets. Random artists will bring stuff in sometimes. Um, that could just be like a large CNC piece of aluminum or, or sometimes bike parts if an artist is trying to customize in their style and I'll just like, prime it and hand it back to them and they'll paint it by hand and then I'll like clear coat it. So stuff like that, something to get like a museum quality finish. Um, hmm. Interesting. Or another artist's work as well. So, so, I mean, that being said, a lot, all those things are much less than the bicycles. I'd say the bicycles are like 75 to 80%. Yeah. What is the market for custom bikes? Like, who are these people that are coming in and, and asking for this? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question. I, I never knew before moving to New York City. So, like so many other things, you don't really understand until you moved to New York City, but uh, there's lots of, um, somehow there's lots of expendable income going on here, which is hard to imagine considering, you know, moving here and dealing with rents and everything. But yeah, there's, a, there's a, just a lot of people uh, in high profile jobs and they have bicycles and, uh, you know, people, I think bicycles in general are just becoming more popular around the world, obviously. And um, it's definitely, it's not slowing down. So people are just, you know, people like getting a, they like having a a precious kind of uh, possession like that, and, and a bike is definitely up there for a, for a lot of people. If you know, if they if they're into that kind of thing, so. Hmm. I'm curious. So for for being for having a sort of creative uh, form that is so precise and requires so much attention to detail, I'm curious if there's like something else that you do in your life where you can just be totally like crazy and messy and playful because it doesn't matter like do you do you seek that balance somewhere oh yeah definitely it's funny you bring that up um i don't really do it as much now but i am actually been meaning to get back into it a lot lately just just drawing just sketching basically um and that could lead different areas from there like getting more into painting and stuff but i i kind of just really love sketching and, and, and drawing just with a sketchbook and ebony pencil and you know, going to museums and just uh, sitting out in a park and kind of just drawing what I see. So definitely, definitely fun to do that kind of thing on the side to get get a more, right, like you're saying, just kind of more free form expression where you don't have to deal with emailing back and forth and uh, creating templates and stuff like that. Yeah. It's interesting I, I, I that you bring that up. I think um, the like the emailing back and forth and stuff I, when you that's something that I think people often don't think about is when you're doing a creative practice that is for other people who are paying for it specifically <laughs> often there's like you sort of have to meet the demands and desires of the people that you're working for really so I'm curious if that feels if that process feels to you more like a a frustrating constraint or an exciting constraint? And like, what, is, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so that, that being said, before, before I go into all that, I'd say that like, I, um, you get like five to 10% of what I do is, is just amazing without any of that pretty much. And it's just someone who just like coming to a tattoo artist and being like, all right, here's my idea, just give me whatever whatever you want to do, like I'll just take a concept or something and go from there. And so that's, those are really the best jobs. But um, 
that being said, you couldn't just only do those jobs because they would take forever and you wouldn't make enough money from that. But, um, but you do get to charge more for, for something that large scale, obviously. But, um, yeah, as far as the emailing goes and all the correspondence, um, I kind of just, you get, you get used to it. I think, uh, especially living in New York city, I hadn't really had to do that before, uh, working for companies cause you were just dealing with that company's work and, you know, you work with your, uh, your team or whatever, even though I was pretty much on my own out in left field on my own painting, since there really wasn't much of a department for that. Um, most people are building the bikes and the painters are kind of in their, their own world. So, but I mean, once you, once you start freelancing and living in New York, you have to deal with all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you just get used to it and, and invoice, it goes along with just invoicing and creating estimates and going back and forth on, on paint schemes and, and all that. It's, it's really I, I don't even really notice it that much anymore, really. So, hmm. Interesting. What do you think has been, like, has in the process of sort of becoming a freelancer, what has been the biggest challenge that you've faced? Well, I guess I'm going to contradict myself and say that, yeah, it's pretty much the admin stuff, like you're saying. Um, but, I mean, that being said, it's, it's also, you know, what, what goes along with that, which is just financially, like, putting everything together. Um, but... That that has worked out too, just because there's such a steady flow of work somehow in New York City for for what I do. So it's that's that's really the saving grace there. Do people just find you now through word of mouth? Like, how did you even start getting clients? Yeah, so I mean, I guess it started from working at the the previous two companies, and people kind of already knew who I was from that somehow, which I, I don't know how, but um, yeah, so. They kind of already knew that people in the bike world, it's a very tight knit community on Instagram or, or just not even on Instagram, just being at trade shows or that kind of thing. So once, once they saw that I was doing my own thing, somehow it just kind of gets out and it helps a lot. Also working with, with Thomas at Horse, who uh, is very entrenched in the bicycle community, not just in New York, but around the country. So, and then, you know, word just kind of spreads from there as far as other things that aren't bikes. So that was the kind of, that was mostly what took longer is kind of other projects besides bicycles, which is what I, which is part of what I really like doing in New York is not only doing bicycles, having the freedom to do other projects. And it's, it's fun to kind of work with another canvas sometimes. So, uh, yeah, I guess having sort of that like contract with a particular company is really helpful for sort of getting you started and getting your name out there, et cetera, a bit more. Uh, that's, it's cool that, that it's such a small field that people really can find you <laughs> um, so easily. Um, what do you, where do you seek inspiration for your projects? So, I mean, like I was saying before, most of the, mostly people know what they want to do. And it's just about, I mean, I can convince them, I can like, push them in another direction and people are open to that. But, you know, sometimes I just want to get my head down and like, if they, if they know what they want, I'm just going to do it. I don't need to, to take the time to get, you know, if I have a bunch of other stuff to paint. I don't really need to be doing that mm. as far as going back and forth. Yeah, it becomes but, more about um, like just execution. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But it, it just really depends on how much is in the queue and everything too. But I can tell. The thing is you, you, you kind of just get a sense for, for that client, you pretty much know in the first email when someone or phone call or whatever, um, 
when someone is down to just do whatever and or if they just have a cool concept and, they, and they're kind of down for whatever then you're like then that's when it's really exciting and you kind of just run from there is there anything in particular that you have coming up that you feel really excited about yeah there's a there's a particular job that someone sent uh just sent a, a frame over which is great it's a a triathlon bike, those tend to be some of the best ones, actually, randomly. Uh, motorcycles can also be really fun and helmets. But for, as far as bicycles, triathlon frames are great because they are they have very uh, thick kind of aero tubing. So it's a large, larger canvas, much larger. Mm. Um, that's also true for just like a typical carbon fiber bicycle as well compared to a steel or aluminum frame. But the tri-bikes are... You know, they're just extra special for that. You just have a huge template to work with, and they just they just look really cool. Basically, I've I've never been on one. I would I don't think I ever will. But uh, but they just they just look great. It's just made for for visual expressions. So, do you ever get stuck? Yeah, like, I mean, it I mean, sounds like you have a lot of external direction from your clients, but um, yeah. When do you get stuck, and what do you do? Stuck in in what sense? In, in in the parameters of a specific project or just in, in um, uh, freelancing in general? Both, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'd say, I'd say more getting stuck uh, for me would just mean uh, kind of being in too much of a routine, which is why freelancing thing is great already. Um, but that being said, even then you can, you can kind of, you know, we kind of naturally get into routines as humans, I think, uh, just by virtue of being in, in, in this society, uh, which kind of wants us to do that in a way. And that's part of why I love to do this and not have like a normal job is just kind of being able to create my own schedule. And, and that being said, it's, it's on you to, to be your own inspiration. And, it, and it's like, but it's great because it's my own fault if I'm not doing that. It's no one else's. It's not like I can blame the routine or a company or any kind of process bogging me down so it's it's great it's like it's the responsibilities on me and that that's that's kind of nice in a way if you like for whatever reason couldn't do this painting work that you've been doing is there anything else that you think you would do instead yeah so like i was saying before one of the i mean i don't know if it's even a thing i could do but uh building architecture models would be great. I mean, I, mean, I could do it. I'm just saying that I think it's mostly automated. I'm not sure I'd be as down with that, but I just really miss um, the, the one thing I miss about architecture is just kind of sitting in a room and with some zappa gap and uh, balsa wood and basswood pieces and going at it and just making something with my hands, which is what I like doing about about painting as well. So, but it, I it really is transferable to anything to a lot of other things. It's just a matter of what thing would that be in the in the real world um but anything making my hands anything working with my hands yeah i would absolutely i mean that it. almost sounds like going in the direction of being a woodworker mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess that's true but um yeah i mean building furniture and stuff would be fun i guess <laughs> but, but it just doesn't sound very exciting huh <laughs> yeah I, for some reason it, that doesn't really that doesn't really jump at me though yeah for, yeah i know what you're saying though yeah yeah i wonder what careers might be out there for like building really uh 
small models of things. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it almost makes me think of uh, a like like the little models that sets that kids build. Um, mm -hmm. But then I feel like the actual job that would go with that would be just designing it would would probably be on a computer. Right, right. You mean like little snap type models or, or those kind of things? Uh, yeah, or whatever, like the kits that that kids get. Right, or like Legos. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking more of like the wood kits, but sure, also Legos. <laughs> <laughs> well, Legos were part of my background, so definitely going to talk about Legos. In what way? Um, just as far as I mean, I get that's probably what I I wanted to get into architecture in a way. It's just mm. when I, as a kid, I just remember some of my best memories are just sitting with a, a giant bucket of Legos and building cities and, and destroying them and designing cars and just crazy stuff with Legos. That really got my imagination yeah. going. That's awesome. Sure. Legos are such an interesting toy. Mm. Like, I think that's so much of what Lego is about is like just having these very simple building blocks that allow your imagination to run wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, they, they're now making these like really elaborate kits of things where you're building right. like Harry Potter's, like the Hogwarts castle, <laughs> um, which is right. less imagination and more specifics, I guess. Right. I think they understand they have to, they have to also generate excitement in this new, uh, kind of in this new climate we have. But uh, but they are they also they they have their bases covered with all the basics and they and everyone kind of knows that's there if they want it so I don't yeah, really fault them for that for but sure. yeah as an idealistic uh, high school or college kid like looking at what they were doing after after my Lego days were over definitely I was cynical about that for a while for sure mm. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting just for me as a, you know, I, I do a lot of like facilitation and training work and, and I've discovered in the last year, this, there's this whole world of um, something called Lego serious play, mm. which is like a facilitation technique that was actually developed at Lego and is now like a whole separate entity in itself where people... Like a form of therapy? It's no, I mean, I guess you could use it in therapy, but like it's, it's actually more for um, working with teams and companies using Legos as like sort of a way of getting teams to communicate in through a different medium almost. Like I went to this workshop a year ago where one of the exercises that we did was like, well, one, there's like a very beginner exercise, which is everybody gets a little kit of like six or seven Legos and that are all like the exact same set of pieces. And then we're told build a duck. Right. And, you know, we have five minutes or whatever for every, or two minutes for everybody to build a duck out of these like six pieces of Legos that they have. And then what you end up seeing is that like with these six pieces of Legos, there's like an infinite number of combinations that people can come up with. And the image that everybody has in their head of what a duck looks like might be slightly different, which will impact the model that they build. And then it enables you to sort of see like, oh, even though we all have one idea in our head, and we might think that we're all on the same page about what we're building, what we each individually produce could end up looking very different. And so that's like a very, very mm. basic example of the technique. Um, but it's sort of a way of like, 
making thinking visible for teams in terms of communication. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah, and I can we can easily apply that to you know architecture or back to painting custom objects of any kind. Really, Uh, it's fun to see what different painters would do depending on uh, you know for 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 the same concept from the same client. Say, Um, that's I've always kind of wanted to do more of a collaborative project at some point with with different painters. It's kind of a it's a kind of a secretive world where there's not a lot of dialogue going on between painters, almost like mm. trade secrets and that kind of thing. And uh, it's really not much need for it because there really aren't many of us out there. So it'd be kind of fun to pass around a project and kind of do a, do a, some kind of collaboration for that. But yeah. But as far as um, I don't know if I answered that that uh, question from a while ago as as as, as much depth uh, about the about the uh, the project I was excited about for like just taking any project like that I'm excited about, it tends to be just someone with a concept and, and a cool object. And then once, when you get, um, when you get those two things together and they just, uh, they have a, you know, they have a great idea and you kind of, that's when you really draw on the inspiration from just like walking around or doing some sketches and noticing patterns in, in just in everyday life, walking around New York, for example. And, uh, and then it, and it's kind of just, I kind of just like to sit with it for a few weeks and usually just something kind of comes to me and I'll just run with it. And, and then it's just about creating like a very detailed, usually a very detailed uh, illustrator uh, file for the paint masks and, and then kind of going through your head as far as how a lot of painting is like the order of operations, especially when things get complicated as far as like, oh, I'm going to put this color down first and then I'm going to, mask this and I'm going to fade this and then mask that and then unmask this because you can kind of go about it in different ways and you kind of have to find the most efficient way to uh, to execute your idea. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Um, so there is actually like a computer component to your design process uh, before you get to the actual painting. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, there's always, I mean, unless you're doing like pinstriping or, or kind of just drawing painting on by hand, which isn't as, it's not as common and I don't really do that as much or airbrushing could do that as well. But um, I, I typically just like working with, within the parameters of masking, vinyl, vinyl masking. You get a big, you got a big vinyl plotter and a little illustrator and you're just working with pads um, for logos in the most general sense. Someone just sends you, you know, if they just want two colors and, you know, the specialized logo on there or something, that's just pretty straightforward stuff. But you can kind of draw anything up in Illustrator and uh, those plotters will just plot anything out. And then it's just a matter of weeding with a little exacto knife and throwing on some transfer paper. So that, that's, yeah, that's an interesting part of the process too that that um, that I've kind of had to just learn on the fly. And uh, probably not an Illustrator master, but I, I know enough to, to do what I need to do on there. So... I wouldn't be able to like draw and shade like things that uh, like graphic design sense, but um, a lot of, a lot of using the pen tool on there. So it's all good. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with people recently about like the interplay of technology and how it's changing the way that we work. And I'm curious, like from your field and from your perspective, how do you see, like, do you think that technology is going to 
fundamentally change the way that you work in the future? Or like, do you think that your field will continue with sort of the, the existing level of technology that you're like, I don't know. Do, do you think that there will be a point where technology could do some of this work, more of the work that you're doing? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I haven't really, I'm definitely not scared of it. Like whatever happens, happens with that. If, if that does happen, I can just take the opportunity to be really cynical Luddite about everything. Uh, but, no. <laughs> but um, you know, it's, it's whatever. I mean, there's people doing, there are new processes with uh, dipping. Uh, I forget what, what exact process that is, but uh, like dip things and get patterns. And uh, it's just, it's just not the same. And, and people, particularly people who have bicycles, they tend to be people who appreciate kind of this, this, this trap, this craft as it exists. And I feel like most of them would, would not kind of cross over to that anyways. Um, it's part of, part of it's just kind of the cool factor. So. Right. Like I guess it, when they're mass producing bicycles, like of course mm-hmm. all that painting is probably being done uh, with machines and like on a large scale, because it's mass produced. And so right. maybe that's, that's just part of the beauty of what you're doing is that it is, it is a craft that is done by hand. And that's a large part of the appeal, I guess. Right, right, exactly. And, and a lot of those, uh, when you're doing a, a, like mass producing bicycle frames, these large companies, no one really wants those paint schemes anyway. Well, that tends to be the first thing that people bring right to me anyways. It's like, get, the, mm. get this off, you know? So I mean, if they got really smart and found some way to like make really cool one-off paint jobs, like uh, I just don't think that's going to happen because that's just it seems too cost prohibitive for large companies. So yeah, it's the challenge with the big companies. Um, cool. Well, if people want to learn more about your work, see what you do, uh, follow along on your future projects, etc., where can they find you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ben Falcon Paint on Instagram is probably the best way, or Horse Cycles Paint also on Instagram. I kind of uh, manage both of those Instagrams for myself and for Thomas at Horse and uh, BenFalcon.com, just www.benfalcon.com. Awesome. Any last thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think that's about it. It was fun talking about different disciplines as well and how the kind of crossover with what I do because I think that I'm not really necessarily uh, stuck in any particular medium or with any particular object. I'm, mm. I'm happy to kind of paint other things, which is why it's so fun being in New York City and uh, kind of get the opportunity yeah. to, to do different stuff. And I'm not really married to, to the bike world necessarily, but it's, but it's been a great way to, to kind of get me into it and everything. Yeah. I imagine that like being in that kind of environment and, and, uh, doing work in a lot of different areas is also probably just good for your sort of ongoing ability to continue supporting yourself no matter what happens with the market or whatever. Though I also imagine that custom bike painting is not going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't really even think about it that much. But it just it just kind of seems like it's a steady, steady flow, at least in this city for me. Um, so yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if you could really do it other places. That would be an interesting conversation, like to do this freelance mm. in other places. It would just involve people shipping you more things. And I know people do, but um, but I just I think New York is an amazing place for it. 
Do you think it's because people in New York are particularly interested in those sorts of things or because it's just mm. like the size of the city enables you to have the scale that you need? Like what, what is it about New York? Yeah, I think, well, we could, that's a whole nother podcast, right? But we could, I mean, I lived here, what, like six, six years. And, um, you know, this is the kind of, this is one of the, just, it's a good topic to kind of make me appreciate it. Like we all get a little jaded living here for, mm. for a certain period of time, but, uh, it's, you know, when you when you actually stay here and, and you like it, it's, it's because there there's some inspiration that you still kept from that very first time when you came here and mm. very first year you lived here and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a great place for yeah. I think all those things people people want people want cool things here. They want they want to adorn their favorite objects with with something that because there's so many people around they can do these kind of things whereas other places you just you don't really you're not exposed to that as much you're not exposed to the yeah. amount of culture and, and just visual feast that that this place provides on a daily basis so mm. that's awesome cool well thanks so much ben it's been really a, a pleasure having you on the show definitely thanks so much dean i appreciate it thank you so much for listening to another episode of everyday creative people I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday. 